You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Slaves No Longer, we walk through Romans chapter 6 and explore the beautiful truth that in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin. We've been walking through this series, Slaves No Longer, as we've been walking through Romans chapter 6. We've been talking about our position in Christ, which we are no longer under the power of sin, right? Christ went to the cross. He paid our penalty. He's taken away the power of sin. And one day, one day when we are glorified, we will most definitely, the presence of sin will be with us no longer. So we've been walking through Romans 6, and I'm going to read, go back a little bit and read some of what we covered last week and then um, kind of move down the passage a little bit further for this morning's um, time together. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 12 and um, probably go down to verse 18 today. Um, some of this we've already covered. We've already covered last week. Um, that's um, on the podcast or it's on the YouTube channel. So if you want to catch up, if you're just jumping in right now and you want to catch up, all this whole series is, is online. I'm free to catch up with, but let me read these passages, this, these uh, verses, and then pray for us, and then we'll dive right in. So Paul's speaking here in Romans 6, beginning at verse 12, he says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your uh, members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do, not know, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have been obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching in which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I just ask for your Spirit's help today, Lord. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, Lord, that he will work through me, Father God. Lord, I pray that we continue to see Jesus for who he is and, and see all that he has done for us and see our new identity in Christ and the burden continues to lift and joy continues to flood our hearts. Lord, I just pray that, again, you will help us today to hear your word properly, to focus in on your word and, Lord, that we will not quench the Spirit and allow him to have his will with us today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we kind of looked at verses 8 through 14, and, and we looked at, we were called to action. Like, there was kind of three steps through that passage where there was something we were to believe, there was an attitude that we were to take, and there was then some action that we were able to do. And what, what Paul was saying is we are to present our members of our body as instruments, but we looked at the, how that word is also mean, can mean weapons, and we are to present our members 
you know, our tongue, our thoughts, our hands, our feet. We were to present our, our, the members of our body for weapons of righteousness, to do good, to do um, God's will and to do what God has called us to do. Paul called us to remove sin from the throne and present our bodies to the true king, God, in service of pleasing him. That's what he, he called us to do. God's word called us to have an attitude that we are dead to sin and alive to God, rooted in our union with Christ, being in Christ, and this union provides for us life without death. And that is something we need to rejoice over, life without death. Each one of us sitting here today that is in Christ will never die. Yes, our bodies will pass away. We will take our last breath, but our souls will pass from this life to the next where we will be with Jesus, just like the thief on the cross, that, that we will go and be with him for all eternity. That is a wonderful, glorious thing that, that should fill our hearts with joy. We also looked at how it is sometimes easier to believe the proclamation of the truth. Okay, the, the proclamation being that, okay, you are dead to sin, you are alive in Christ, and you will live forever. Okay, I kind of got that, Joe. But how do we actually live that out? How, do we, how does he actually get us there? That, that process that, that we talked about a little bit, sometimes that's so much harder to believe, right? It's so much harder to believe that it's not about us um, mustering up the strength and energy to go do X, Y, Z, kind of like the gentleman in the video said that he had all these things, and if you listen to him carefully, he said he had to do these things in order for God to love him. That's the antithesis of the gospel. It is the absolute opposite of the gospel, right, where he was saying that he had to do these things in order that God will love him. Well, the Bible tells us that God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Then as you are born again in a new creature, he gives you a new heart with new desires. And this is the process that we don't trust. This is the process that sometimes we don't believe that we want to hijack because we always want to take control of it. And that process is as we read our Bibles and as we live as a church body and as we point out people's sins and we repent of our, our sins and we love on one another, as that process happens, we see Jesus for who he truly is. We see him for all that he has done for us. And that changes our affections, that changes our desires. And only then, only after our desires and our affections change, will we actually obey God. That's, that's the process that we have a hard time trusting, right? We strive to do all the things instead of strive at loving God and loving others because that's how we love God. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Romans six fourteen. as we ended our time together, I, I, I just didn't touch this as I knew I was going to hit on it coming in today, Romans 6, 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you. This is a wonderful promise from God. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And that is a, a great promise. This is one that we need to write down, put on a refrigerator, and say, say to us quite often, look, for sin will have no dominion over you. Whenever our, our flesh is crying out or we just said the dumb thing to our spouse or to our family member or to our friend that we've said 352 times this past week, 
We can go to this promise and say, Joe, sin does not have any dominion over you. And see, this is what I'm talking about, the process. We're like, does that really work? Yes, because the Word has the power. The Word is sufficient. It's not about me standing up here and giving you ten steps to do this and five steps to do that. It's trying to show you who Christ is and all that He has done. So that you believe him. And whenever you see promises like this, you take them to heart and trust in them and rest in them. Form your identity from them. And out of that, your changed affections, your values change. And then you then change. So this is a a wonderful and great promise. Sin has no dominion over you. Why? Because you are not under law, but under grace. Well, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean that I'm not under the law, but I am under grace? Well, we kind of already saw the under law part in, in this gentleman's testimony. Being under the law, it means that you're doing X, Y, and Z in order to earn the love of God. That's what it means to be under the law, right? If you are under law, you provide your own righteousness, right? That's a scary thing. See, every single one of us, no matter if you're sitting here today or watching online, if you're a believer or an unbeliever or you're trying to figure it out, every single one of us, there's something that's true of us that I believe firmly that the Bible tells us that one day we will stand before God. One day we will stand before Him. And I know this illustration and and the way this this comes out kind of, you can poke holes in this all day long, but if God is standing there and you're standing before him and he's saying, why should I let you spend the rest of my life with me, the rest of your time with me on earth and in heaven, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? Is it going to say, well, I did X, Y, Z, I helped someone across the street, I gave to my church, I... What, what, are you, what are you putting up there as your righteousness? Because if it's the things that you have done, the Bible goes back and tells us in Isaiah that, and, and Nate kind of alluded to it a little bit, many times all those good things we do, they're not to glorify God, they're to glorify us. So they become what the Bible calls filthy rags. So one day you're going to be standing before him and and you're either going to be under the law and you're going to say, look, God, this is everything that I did. And he's going to say, but you never knew me. But if you're under grace and what it means to be under grace is so much easier, you're going to say, well, God, the father, I trusted and believed in your son because you have saved me. His righteousness is what I put before you. What he did, what, how he perfectly obeyed you is put before you. The penalty that, that I deserved, you put on him. This is what I'm putting before you. That's the difference between being under the law and being under the grace. And what ha- often happens with us is what we want to do is we want to provide a little bit of our righteousness and a little bit of Jesus' righteousness, Right? I mean, maybe I'm the only person, but I know I, I do that often, right? Oftentimes, I, you, you know, the, the, the story in, in the Bible where the, the guy went up to pray and he beat his chest and he said, I'm so glad I'm not like this person. That, that, that's my righteousness. That's where Joe stumbles a lot. Where I look around and say, well, at least I'm not doing that. And then what I'm 
what I'm doing is I'm justifying myself. Instead of saying, oh, I probably am like that. It just comes out differently. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved me. Thank you that I'm under your blood. Thank you that your righteousness is what I present to the Father one day. And what we can't do is, is we can't give them a little bit of our righteousness and a little bit of Jesus' righteousness. It's either all of Jesus or it's nothing. And this is what he's working in us. This is what he's working through us. This is how he's growing us in sanctification. Paul tells us in, in the letter of Galatians why this is so important. He says to us in, in Galatians 5, 2, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So this is a church in Galatia where they had some, some Judaizers that were coming in and, and, and telling them, Hey, Jesus thing, all this Jesus teaching, that's a real good thing, but you, you better get circumcised in order to, to put that before God to please him. And what Paul is saying, that if you accept circumcision, in other words, if you take a little bit of, of your righteousness and mix it in with Christ's righteousness, Christ is no, that's what he says, Christ will be no advantage to you. He'll be no advantage to you. Christ is either all of your righteousness or none of it. If you try to provide some of your righteousness alongside Christ's righteousness, you nullify grace. You are no longer under grace. You are now under the law. And whenever you're under the law, you got to fulfill every aspect of the law to be righteous. And we can't do it. We're fallen creatures. Because if we were in Adam, go back to the very first sermon as we looked at the end of chapter 5. But we are under grace. Christ is our righteousness. That's what verse 14 is telling us. He is our righteousness. Righteousness. Christ is all of our righteousness for justification. We receive it in him as a gift by grace through faith alone. Through faith alone. That's the hard part. It's like, wait a minute. Okay, so it's trusting in Christ. It's my faith that I'm exercising in this. It's not I have to go do things. See, what, what the gospel is saying and what the gospel does is he's saying, if you truly see what Christ has done, you'll have so much affection and so much desire that you'll want to go do those things. And you'll be doing them for the right reason. You'll be doing them to glorify God. Our effort resides in activating the faith God has given us as a gift to believe all that Christ is for us. All that he has done on our behalf, he obeyed the law perfectly for us. And when we lay down our willpower, our duty, and begin to see him for who he is and what he has done, our desires change. And when our desires change, we choose differently. We no longer use the parts of our body as instruments of unrighteousness. We use them to serve God. This is the process of change. We change by grace. That's how we change. We change by grace. The question is, is will you believe that process? Will we believe that process? Now, what, what Paul's going to show us in verses 15 through 18, that within this process, God has given us some actions, which we saw last week. And this week, we look at some obligations as we look at these verses 15 through 18. So let me read them again. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, under, but under grace? By no means. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." Now, if we've been following along and, and you come to verse 15, you're like, wait a minute, I've heard that before, kind of, right? That, that sounds very familiar to verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue sin that grace may abound? Right now he's, he's saying, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And Paul's answer is real simple, by no means, right? No, we are not to do that. Since we are free from the law, we no longer need... Um, to obey is the objection, where, where, where the first objection was to say, okay, wait a minute here. If I sin, I get more grace. So why don't I just go sin a lot and I'll get a whole lot of grace, right? So now the, the, the next objection that Paul is, is seeking and, or looking at um, is this. Okay, so if I'm not under the law, then I'm under grace, so therefore I don't have to obey anything because I'm under grace. And Paul says, by no means. By no means. Why not? Because justification, as I've been saying, talking about this process, because justification leads to sanctification. Those who have been justified by faith in Christ will live in obedience to Christ. Our desires have changed and we want to obey Christ. It becomes our greatest joy. So we're new creatures. If we have a new heart, then obeying Christ brings us even more joy. It satisfies us far more than anything the world can put in front of us, brother and sister. That is so hard to believe. Sometimes we even just have to simply experience it. We have to experience it. A truly saved person will not want to live like they are lost. Because in a new birth, you have been given a new heart with new desires. And one of those desires is to joyfully obey Christ. So therefore, as Paul's posing this rhetorical question, we cannot excuse sin in our lives. We can't just say, well, all right, so I'm full of grace, I'm under grace, I don't have to follow the law, so I can just go do whatever I want, I don't have to obey. No, because our first obligation is we cannot adopt a cheap view of grace. We cannot adopt a cheap view of grace. We can't abuse the grace that God has given us. And we usually do that by rationalizing sin, don't we? We dismiss our sin. We rationalize it. Now, remember, sin is, is disobeying God. That's the very root and core of sin. It's disobeying what God has laid out for the good, perfect life that he has for us. It's disobeying him. That's exactly what happened all the way back in Genesis 3, Right? It's disobeying them. They, they were like, did God really say this? That short phrase just resounds in my head all the time. Every time I'm up to that point where I'm either going to give my body over to, to sin, to use my, my parts of my body to, to unrighteousness, or should I decide on what God says? Did God really say that if I go this way, there's greater joy, greater satisfaction. It will go better. Then if I go this way, this is the Christian life. This is the Christian walk. So 
All of us, I think, are prone to rationalize sin, aren't we? Especially if, in, in my eyes, my sin is, isn't as big as yours, right? God knows I can't be perfect. He will understand a little sin now and then. That's kind of how we rationalize it out, right? It's like it's, we're, we're rationalizing our sin. It's cheap grace. We, we can do whatever we want. Yes, we don't have to be perfect. It's like we got to find a balance, It's like some places I've been, it's way over here where you don't dare talk about your sin because if you talk about your sin, you've lost your salvation somehow. Well, no, that's not the truth. But over here, you can't be way over here and say, well, I could do whatever I want because I'm under grace. No, we got to find a balance, the center point, right? In between the two, where we're able to say, look, Sam, brother, I, I struggled with this. Would you, would you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you give me some Bible verses to help me believe and trust in who I am and, and what, what God has done for me to help me through and over this sin so that I can put it behind me? Because I know I'm already dead to sin. It no longer has the power over me, but I continue to, lead to give it that power. We can't rationalize it away. We can't just look at it and say, well... I don't sin like that. I'm not that bad, so I can just continue doing what I'm doing, even though what you're doing is is sin also. We just say, oh, he's a God of grace, right? So many people misunderstand the Bible. They they think the Old Testament, oh, there's the God of wrath. And in the New Testament, oh, here's the God of grace. I want to live in the God of grace. Yes, that's true. We live in his grace, but all of the Bible is, is God. And his perfect character and who he is. So until we stop rationalizing our sin and begin to repent of it, we will never see the pattern of sin broken in our lives. As Martin Luther said in one of those, the first theses, they nailed on the, on, the, on, the, on the door, all of life for the Christian is repentance. That's Joe's version of it. Repent is not a bad thing. Repenting is a healthy thing. We need to read Psalms 51 far more than we do and learn how to truly repent before God, as David did after he slept with Bathsheba and killed Uriah and went to the Lord as a man after God's own heart, right? Some of you may be thinking, I know what I'm doing is wrong and I want to change, but my problem is too big. Let me encourage you that change is possible. Perhaps you have been trapped in a simple habit for years, but through the power of Christ, you can change. Change is hard, but there is a big difference between hard and impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. To help us not fall into a cheap view of grace, to prevent us from rationalizing our sin away, Paul gives us another truth to help us. He gives us another truth. In other words, he's going to say, okay, you need to really put on these lenses to see something about everybody in the world to help you understand and not fall into cheap grace. What does he say? What is this truth? It's a hard truth. And the truth is simply this. All people are slaves. All people are are under the authority of another. All people are slaves. As, as Dave reminded us this Thursday night at Crew, we'll, we'll use the, the Loki, Loki line, you were made to be ruled, right? 
The question we must ask is who is our master? Who is our master? Look at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? We're in one of two categories, brother and sister. And he's, he's trying to, to show us, the, to give us the reality that we live in. Because you're either obeying sin and, and, and being mastered by sin, or you're obeying Christ, and it's leading you to righteousness. It's leading you to eternal life. One or the other. Paul said elsewhere to the church in Corinth, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're either serving sin or we're serving God. One or the other. There's no in-between. We're doing one or the other. However, this is not the modern world's understanding of what it means to be a human being. Right? I mean, it was alluded to a little bit that, that we think because we're Americans, we have this incredible freedom and all these rights so they've developed a view of the human nature that is off quite a bit from what the Bible says. What modernity teaches, what the culture around us teaches, what those that um, produce content teaches is we are each our own. We belong to ourselves. Isn't that the predominant theme? It's like, you can't tell me what to do. I belong to myself. I'm my own, right? In Alan Noble's new book, You're Not Your Own, he gives us a picture which is worth seeing. It's worth seeing it because many times that, that we just got to have someone else help us to see that the water that we're swimming in. And he's done this very well in, in his book, You Are Not Your Own. Noble writes this, To be your own and belong to yourself means that the most fundamental truth about existence is that you are responsible for your existence and everything it entails. Just honestly read this with me and stop and think of the weight that you feel each and every day. And could it just be possible that you're just trying to get to the end of the day because you're you're, this describes how you look at your life, that, that there is no sovereign God. He's not in control of everything in your life. I'm in control of it. I'm my own. It's all me. And, and, and the way he unpacks this is, is very revealing. He goes on to say, I am responsible for living a life of purpose, right? It's me that decides purpose. Someone else can't decide that for me, even though God has bought us at a price. I am responsible for living a life of purpose, of defining my identity, of inter, uh, interpreting meaningful events, of choosing my values and electing where I belong. If I belong to myself, then I am the only one who can set limits, limits on who I am or what I can do. No one else has the right to define me, to choose my journey in life, or to assure me that I am okay. I belong to myself. Once liberated from all social, moral, and especially religious values, I become responsible for the meaning of my own life. 
We are human beings created in the image of God. We were never meant to do that right there. We have never been meant to be responsible for the meaning of our own life. Never. It's a burden that manifests as a desperate need to justify our lives through identity crafting and expression. That's what it turns into. So what society has become, get this, what society has become is one big reality TV show where everyone is vying for attention, meaning, and significance. And unfortunately, our phones tap right into that, doesn't it? Social media taps right into that. We are significant. We have a purpose because how many likes we have or or how many people's watching the video I just posted or what have you, this, that, or the other. We are trying to define our own purpose. We are trying to define our own meaning in life. We are trying to define why we exist on this earth. It's already been done for you. You are created in the image of God. This is so freeing, folks. When we lay this stuff down, this is so freeing. Noble defines two basic groups which emerge. Maybe you... Those that are in Marty's group coming Monday, they're going to have to answer this question. Which group are you in? The affirming, these, uh, the affirming is one group. These are people who rise to the challenge by submitting to the tyranny of self-improvement. In other words, they're chasing the dream. They're always self-improving. They're doing the next thing. Right? So this is the affirming group. And then there is the resigned group. Right? Those who accept that they will never be able to successfully compete and turn to the allure of despair, killing time with immersive entertainment until death comes or circumstances change. Twelve hours of Netflix binging. We're just escaping, folks. Because what we're doing is, is we're trying to create our own purpose. We're trying to create our own meaning. And we can't do it. And the weight of it just crushes us. Growth groups are marked by unrestrained consumption. Either greater heights of self-mastery or even more entertainment and pleasure or both. All of which leaves us exhausted and empty. There's always more to buy, to be entertained by, and always something to improve. To cope with our exhaustion and emptiness, we self-medicate. Self-medicating is the norm of our society because if we don't medicate, we are not sure we can get through the day. We find something to medicate it. This weight of always trying to define who we are and making our purpose and making our meaning for here on earth. We're just trying to get through the day because of all this weight. This is the fundamental life of modernity, that we are our own. This is what being your own leads you to. Until we see this lie for what it is, until we work to uproot it from our culture and replant a conception of human persons as belonging to God and not ourselves, most of our efforts at improving the world will be glorified band-aids. They eventually rub off, and it all comes back to, to the surface, and those feelings that we can't cope, those feelings of despair, those feelings of anxiety, then we go back to medicating. Or if we're, if we're not the medicating type, what we do is we, we try harder. We'll go get another degree. We will go do something to be better. 
Jesus said, rest in me. I will give you an identity. I will give you a purpose. I will give you all this. Just rest in me. The first question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism reads this. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Paul is saying in these verses. This is exactly what he's saying. We're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to righteousness. But we can't believe the culture's lie that we are our own. We gotta lay that lie down. It comes straight from Satan. Most lies do. Modernity is wrong. You are not your own. We live either as a slave to sin or a slave to God. And Paul is clear. If we are a slave to sin, where does that lead us? Paul says it leads to death. However, if you're, if you're in Christ, if you're united with Christ, you have been set free, but not free as modernity would define it. You are now a new person who is a slave to obedience, which results in righteousness, which brings greater joy, greater pleasure, greater satisfaction. Our freedom in Christ is not a license to do whatever I want. It means I have a new master. I have a new master. And the real freedom is not living without a master. Real freedom is living with the right master. One who is gentle and lowly. One who gave his life for you. He humbly stepped out of heaven and came to earth. He was beaten. He was spit on. He took your shame. He took your guilt. He took your fear. He went to the cross and bought you with a price. <laughs> there is so much freedom in that, brothers and sisters. There is so much freedom in believing that and knowing that and trusting that. We know that in the beginning, man was created by God to serve his maker. But Adam's sin short-circuited that design. Man became slave to sin. And here's the beauty of salvation. As believers in Christ, we are free to live the way God designed us to live. Not as our own masters, but as servants of righteousness. Your non-Christian friend can't live that way. And doesn't want to do so. But in Christ, we are set free to serve God. If we want to be set free from sin, here's a truth we must realize. All people are slaves. We need to contemplate an important question. Is Christ really your master today? Is he really your master today? Just because I don't steal, don't lie, and I don't do other things the law prohibits doesn't mean that I'm living the Christian life. I may be living a moral life and not the Christian life. I may be living a good life in the eyes of other people and not know Christ. The Christian life is life in which we know and obey Christ. So is he your master today? 
The beauty of the gospel is that all who are in Christ have experienced a change. This is what Paul says in Romans 16, 17 through 18. But thanks be to God. Who did this? God did this. The one that we've been rebelling against, the one that, that we consistently obey, who saved you? God did. He came and got you. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We didn't change ourselves. We don't take Jesus out of our pocket and and rub the genie bottle and say, give me this and do this. We can't do that with our salvation. We can't do that with anything else. It is all a gift of God. It's it's a mystery how it works, how he he says he uses the foolishness, foolishness of what I'm doing right now to tell you about who Jesus is. And whenever that happens, that the Holy Spirit comes and changes our hearts and gives us the faith to then believe where before we could care less about this dude named Jesus. It's an amazing, wonderful gift. We don't do it, he does it. We couldn't. We were slaves. We loved our sin. We were slaves to our sin. God took the initiative. God set us free from sin. God delivered us by his grace. When we change, it involves our heart, our mind, and our will. The heart changes when we're born again. We are given a new heart within, with new desires. Ezekiel um, 36 is the promise that it's going to happen, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from the flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Only the spirit can do that. Change comes from the heart, from the mind. Paul says, we obey from the heart a standard of teaching, is what he says in our passage. And what Paul is saying here is not so much about the particular teaching that is handed down to believers, but that the believers who are handed over to the teaching. In other words, it's not a specific set of doctrines, although doctrine is great and doctrine is good, and if you have wrong doctrine, you're going to end up in the wrong place. But he's saying it's not so much about the the teaching that they gave you, but that you actually gave yourself over to that teaching, that you actually believed it, that it actually became part of who you are, that it actually became what you value, so therefore you will make decisions to obey Christ naturally, with joy. Please don't miss this. True change doesn't come from a zap. You just don't get zapped. The consistent intake and application of biblical truth sets people free. The word of God is what sets you free. Sound doctrine is not only vital, but extremely practical. The teaching of the word of God alone can bring lasting change. Do we believe that? Is the word of God sufficient to bring change to our lives? We we have psychologized and psychiatrized Christianity enormously. It's good. It has its place. But man, does, does the Word of God, the Word of God says that this is going to change you if you just obey it. Do we believe that it's sufficient? That this is what we need? Do we believe that? Is it sufficient? Are we convinced that it really can break destructive habits that paralyze us? 
Paul was convinced. He knew that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring change. And change involves the mind. With the heart and the mind now changed, it affects our will. You obey. Change is linked to obedience. When a person says, my life's a mess, my marriage is crumbling, there's a wall between me and my kids, I can't sleep at night, what should I do? The question that must be answered first is this. Have you been obeying God's word? When God's word says, love your spouse, it's not giving a suggestion. When it says, don't forsake the assembly of the church, it's not giving a negotiable. When it says, don't let any root of bitterness be in your heart and exhorts us to forgive, only one thing is needed. Not our approval, but our obedience. Will we actually do it? By the way, does this understanding of how people change affect how we do church? It sure does. It really affects how we do church. What is the purpose of a Sunday morning worship service? Is it just for unsaved people? No. Sunday morning is for those that are in Christ, those that are united with Christ. Does evangelism happen? Absolutely. But it's a secondary byproduct. The primary reason we preach God's Word on Sunday morning is to help believers know how to live. Believers gather to change and grow and then scatter to sow. We gather to change and grow and then scatter to sow. So, did you come to church this morning expecting to grow? Did you come with your mind in tune to learn? Unfortunately, that's not the reason many people attend church in our culture. They don't come to learn God's word, but to get in an emotional high. That's not only unbiblical goal, it's very, very dangerous. If you are in Christ today, you have been freed to be enslaved. We don't like that statement. If you are in Christ today, you have been free to be enslaved. We are free from sin and free to serve Christ. I am free to change by the power of God to the glory of God. Are you in bondage to sin today? Do you want the chains to be broken? Then surrender to the master the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loves you, who gave his life for you, he will set you free. He will set you free from yourself. He will set you free from sin. You are not a slave. You have been set free. You can serve him as you were created to do. This is what this whole thing's about. It's bringing us back to one day we can all be in the garden like Adam and Eve. And we can walk around waiting for God to come and talk with us. What a beautiful picture. What a yearning we should have to want that. But brother and sister, we are free. We are free to be slaves to God. And that is a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, we just need your help today. 
Lord, we need help to lay some things down, Lord, and, and to ask for forgiveness and repent, Lord. And, and we also need your spirit to help us to see all that you have done for us. And Lord, like the, the Father said, just help my unbelief. Help it. Help me. Help me believe that, that if I'm struggling with something, that your word can speak to it, it's sufficient, and it will change me. Help us to believe that today. And Father, I just pray if, if there's anyone here that does not know you, that as they heard what Christ has done for them to remove them from slavery to sin, Lord, I pray that you have changed their heart. And then maybe today that for the first time, they're like, wow, this makes sense. I see that I was a slave to sin, but I don't want to be that anymore. And may they turn from themselves and trust in you. Lord, I pray for them that they would repent and turn and believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, I ask for your help in all this. Your spirit has to work in us. It is our only hope. He is the great counselor. And his number one job is to point us to Jesus Christ. We ask that you would help us with that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.